what I'd say is for people my age, it is totally about intersectionality and recognising that to fix one thing, we need to fix various other things as well. One of the things that I really noticed while writing We Have a Dream was how young so many of the people I were talking to were when they started. Because um, it isn't, you know, it isn't teenagers, it's young children, you know, seven, eight, nine year olds, um, taking it upon themselves to make things better because they were seeing a failure from generations before them. Um, and so I think while in some ways it's incredibly inspiring to see people feeling capable to go out and change the world like that, I do think in some ways it's also quite sad um, that so many of these kids felt the need. You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with me, Dan Burgess. The concept of the Spaceship Earth is simple. We live on a life-giving rock called Earth, hurtling through space. Like a spaceship, we have a finite amount of supplies with an intelligent operating system, which keeps everything we need replenished as long as we all respect it and use wisely. So an understanding of how this system works, along with deep cooperation between humans and all life, is essential to keep us thriving and the spaceship flying. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with humans involved in regenerating life, shifting consciousness and reimagining how we can live more beautifully and peacefully. I talk with artists, activists, writers, designers, adventurers, healers, entrepreneurs, creative mavericks and more. Their stories invite us to participate in the co-creation of a more beautiful, life-sustaining world in service to life, becoming crew on Spaceship Earth. Welcome to the podcast. This is Dan. Uh, thanks for tuning in wherever you are on Spaceship Earth. Hope this finds you well. Um, so back in 2019, I recorded a outdoor, an outdoor broadcast podcast episode uh, from the youth climate strikes in Bristol. Uh, episode 16, if you want to go back and have... Uh, a listen anyway um as a dad of three and an activist i've taken my children to protests and marches since they were very young and um, personally i believe it's important for them to feel and witness the energy and passion that exists across generations when it comes to people standing up against the destruction of the living world and the breakdown of our climate which supports human life. I kind of wish this wasn't necessary, but we're living in a time where there is insane levels of destruction and exploitation. And for me, trying to hide and shield my children from all of these realities is not always appropriate. There is so much injustice in this world, and I believe that we have a responsibility to demonstrate that this is not all right. This is not what we want, especially as so many humans around the world are suffering today from climate and ecological breakdown, largely driven by the actions of the West and the global North. People say sometimes, yeah, but, you know, does protest do anything? Well, yeah, it does. And we need so many forms of activism. 
protests and marches are one flavour. But if you want to see a planet that can sustain life in the coming years, then everyone needs to step up, especially those of us who can do so without fear of oppression from power, which for sure is most white people in this country. Although with the way things are going with the current right to protest bill that's travelling through Parliament, who knows for how much longer. Anyway, back in Bristol again at the end of 2019, uh, we attended a climate march with a visit from Greta Thunberg. Now, it was a kind of Glastonbury pyramid stage size audience. It was uh, kind of had the Glastonbury mud as well that day, if I remember rightly. But it was hugely uplifting and inspiring that one teenager could make that much impact through her courage and determination to speak so succinctly to power. And again, it reminds me, like, this idea, if if one teenage girl with a mobile phone can achieve that, like, what would it look like if more of us took intelligent, strategic, collective action to accelerate the systemic level of changes required to deal with what is the mother of all issues that must become the lens through which we look at every aspect of our lives? Just before Greta did a talk, the mic was passed to another teenager, Bird Girl, 19-year-old Maya Rose Craig, a prominent British Bangladeshi birder, conservationist and environmentalist. Now, I've been following Maya Rose's journey for some years as she's been a leading voice speaking up on issues of equal access to the natural world and for ethnic diversity in the conservation environmental sectors. Now, Maya Rose that day delivered an extraordinary courageous talk. It was the first time I'd heard someone so young joining the dots on climate breakdown and social justice with such clarity. So it was a real treat to record an episode with Maya Rose during the summer. So Maya Rose is committed to conservation, such as stopping biodiversity loss, halting climate change, whilst also respecting Indigenous peoples and highlighting global climate justice as it intersects with climate change action. She has been writing this infamous blog, Bird Girl, uh, since she was very young, and she's a founder and president of the charity Black to Nature, which she set up at the age of 13, and we talk about it a lot in the episode. She's the youngest Briton to be awarded an honorary doctorate of science, age 17, for her work fighting for equal access to nature and for building awareness around ethnic diversity in the environmental sectors. She recently visited the Arctic with Greenpeace to highlight the diminishing sea ice. And she's just released her first book, We Have a Dream, which we explore in this episode. It's a book which highlights 30 young environmentalists of colour from all around the world, including many indigenous, to amplify their voices and their experiences because they are rarely mentioned by our media. So let's cut to it. This is the Spaceship Earth podcast with Maya Rose Craig, a.k.a. Bird Girl. Okay, Maya Rose, welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's good to have, good to have you here. Um, whereabouts are you right now on, on, our, on our Spaceship Earth? <laughs> I'm currently southwest England near Bristol. It's very uh-huh. rainy. Is it rainy? Yeah, always. Well, we're not. I'm not far from you. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in Bath. But actually, right now, it's 
it's looking quite bright. <laughs> really? I'm very jealous then. <laughs> yeah. And how, and how are you doing right now? How's it all How's it all going? I'm good. Yeah. I'm busy. I've been on my gap year. I'm going to uni in the autumn and I've got lots done. So y- Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll dig into that because I mean, I think that's a bit of an understatement because you're... <laughs> you're <laughs> someone that's got a lot going on and uh because i was thinking like we you know we first connected i think it was um it was just it was just at the start of the lockdown last mm-hmm. march um when i chatted we, we we chatted and uh and i think obviously before that i think i'd 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 seen you in bristol at the at the um the climate march is the one that Greta came and did the, uh, of course, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I saw you, I was with my kids, saw you deliver a pretty extraordinary speech before, before Greta. Um, and then it seemed like the middle of last year, I think it just seemed like you, your, you know, your work, your profile was really sort of, um, what's the word I would use? Go, going off <laughs> it was going off and I think I saw you on Wimbledon quite recently <laughs> on the telly um yeah so it's been um it's been quite um it's been quite a quite a year or so for you hasn't it in uh and we can we can do this and I know that you know I know that you have you know obviously dug into your story on various podcasts and so I don't want to go massively go back massive but I would love to if we could start just because just to give some context to to listeners who who might not know your work, um, but a bit of your backstory to kick us off. But particularly, I guess, I'm just always really interested in in, I guess, the sort of threads and the sort of seeds maybe that have, you know, kind of led or woven the direction of your of your life today. Because you're you know you do many things, like you said, you're you're 19, you're off to uni, but you're also like you know you're a birder, you're a, an activist, you have this very strong relationship with the natural world and and of course your work also is exploring you know social justice anti-racism inclusivity Mm -hmm. especially so i'd love to just if if we could if you could just give us a little bit of sense of yeah how how this has all come to be Uh, yeah sure um so i guess it all started with birds and bird watching as it always Mm. does for me um, everything goes back to that. I've, I've been into birds my whole life. My whole, I came, I come from a family of bird watchers. And so it's always been a really big thing for me. That's how I connected with nature. Um, and it was something that I was passionate enough about that when I was 11, I started a blog called Bird Girl, called Bird Girl because I was a girl who liked birds, nice. um, which felt very appropriate. And, um, you know, I guess everything I've done subsequently sort of exploded from there because I didn't really expect anyone to read it, but they did. Um, mm. And quite a lot of people did very quickly. I think I've had about 5 million views on that blog now, which is insane. Yeah. Um, but I very quickly started using that as a platform to talk about environmental issues, you know, biodiversity loss, climate change, deforestation, um, all those sorts of things. Now I was doing all that in the background, but also I think as someone who was half Bangladeshi, I was becoming very aware that I didn't really see anyone who looked like me out in nature, out in the countryside. And 
I think as someone who had such a strong relationship with the environment, that made me really sad. And so I also started a project working with kids and teenagers from, you know, inner city areas, ethnic minority backgrounds, um, and bringing them out into the countryside on camps. And um, it's very grassroots, it always has been, but I, that has now become my charity, Black to Nature, which I've been running for about six years now. Mm. Um, and I think that's been one of my biggest projects that I've ever done. The fact that I've been doing it since I was like 13 and I'm 19 now is insane to me. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that's, oh, that's a lot. There's a lot in this, isn't there? Because, um, y- you know, for many of us, I mean, I think just, you know, what, what you've, you know, what you, you, what you've journeyed on and explored and, you know, spoken up to and already um from from you know your younger years to now is is it's an enormous amount of of uh of energy that you've already sort of put out into the world and i guess and we'll dig into the charity in a bit but i I would love to know like you know you talked about these you know talk about the bird you know starting with birding and then you know these are these kind of issues that you're becoming aware of whether they're you know environmental issues that you're seeing um and then obviously you know the issues of um, of race and what's going on in within these kind of natural spaces, but can you tell us a little bit about how you know how did these how are you sort of coming across these? So how did like because going from birding to starting to re, you know to starting to really sort of join the dots on you know ecological breakdown and biodiversity loss? I mean, it's quite a, you know how were you how was how did that happen? Do you know what I mean were you being sort of guided into this or were these your own discoveries? Can you just tell us a little bit about how you sort of went from I guess you know that that sort of desire to kind of you know go out and spot and track birds to 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 opening you up to all these other you know quite big gnarly issues at a really relatively young age right yeah 100% I think for me as a kid that felt like a very natural transition um And I think my love of nature and the environment has always been totally tied up into an awareness of environmental issues out in the world, like many people my age. Like, I think people forget that, you know, I was born in 2002. I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't aware of environmental issues and climate change and things like that. I've been flooded with that kind of information since before I can remember. Um, You know, I had I know units in primary school talking to me about climate change and mm. deforestation in the Amazon and things like that. And so um, it had always been things that I'd been really concerned about. And again, when I, when I got this online platform, it was purely to talk about my, my hobby in a, you know, quite light, almost fluffy way. And yeah. um, I think I just realized quite quickly that I wasn't actually that interested in doing that regularly. Like I didn't mind doing it sometimes, Um, But I felt much more interested in talking about things that I cared about, issues that I cared about going on in the world. And the fact that I happened to have a a large following on that platform was just um, incredibly helpful rather than anything else. Um, Yeah, no, I guess, and no, it makes tons of sense. I guess it's always that, it's this thing that I, I mean, I struggle with it a lot when I sort of try and, I always, you know, always curious to try and understand in our you know in our in our kind of um in our culture mm. cultures like people's perception of of you know how bad things are because for a lot of people you know many people just dr- drift through the world doing their thing 
And, you know, it's like this shifting baseline syndrome idea, isn't it? You know, you're born into a world at a certain time and you kind of see what's around you and you kind of think that's sort of how it's always been, you know? Um, but then, like you're saying, you know, to become aware of, you know, whether that's, you know, the lack of bird species around or the lack of, you know, you know, f- native forests or, you know, diverse ecosystems on your doorstep. It's kind of, it's to sort of start to, to understand that you've got to be quite, you know, it's not something you notice unless you're really, you know, starting to look for it, I guess. Because cause I, 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 I mean, it's something to say, it's something I, I struggle with quite a bit is trying to understand how, you know, I was born in the 70s, you know, and I remember, you know, it's that classic thing about the, you know, what we call it like the moth storms, you know. I always remember like just insane amounts of insects in the, mm-hmm. in the summer. I remember my mum, you know, driving and having the headlights on, you know, and uh, uh, in the summer and just uh, just these kind of just mad clouds of moths, you know, being drawn in. Um, and you don't see that anymore. You know what I mean? And and but 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 if I hadn't witnessed that, I would never know. To, I look at my own kids and they're like, well, they wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't have that that knowledge. So it's just interesting how I was just curious of how you're sort of, you know, because you're you have such a you know, you have such a depth now of, of knowledge and understanding of, of these issues. But I was just curious about maybe where there were signals or people or things that got you to really go, oh, hold on a sec, what's going on here? Or, or was it just were you just intuitively aware that things were were, were not good out there? <laughs> um, a mix, I think, because both of my parents were very into nature and the environment mm. as well. And they talked to me a lot about issues when I was a child. Um which I think is probably another reason that I was very aware of yes. things that were going on. Um, and, you know, I had the same stories when I was a kid, you know, my parents talking about how, you know, when you drive your windshield would just get splattered with yeah. insects or yeah. how, when they were little starlings were a common garden bird. And I've never seen one in my garden ever, you know, there, there yeah. were all sorts of things like that when I was a kid. And I think, um, you know, this concept of generational memory is so important um to keep in mind when talking about environmental issues just because you know people always want to return the environment to how they remember it when they Hmm. were a child um but I think the state of biodiversity loss is so terrible in the UK that really we need to turn back a hundred or two hundred years um which obviously is far out of anyone's generational memory Hmm. um and so I think even though, you know, hearing these stories as a child and things like that were really important, um, I do think as I've gotten more and more involved in environmental stuff, um, my my desire for change has outgrown those. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, I've just, that whole concept of time is fascinating, isn't it? This, um, you know, we because we uh, our, our awareness is obviously very, very short term fo- focus. You know, when we look at these when we look at these ideas in sort of earth time, you know, you can imagine like what would, what would have these, these landscapes around the, you know, the Southwest of England look like even a hundred years, 200 years ago, you know, um, and beyond obviously. Um, and it's, it's hard for us to grasp, to grasp that, that they would have probably been, you know, sort of humming with, with life. Um, uh, and it's interesting. Yeah. Where, where, where we go from, where we, where we go from here, but um mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes tons of sense. So, let's let's chat a bit um, about, I guess you know your work, and obviously with the with the charity. But you know, you talk a lot about this element of 
you know, VME, visible minority ethnic, right? Um, and I've heard you talk about a sort of colonial view of nature and we'll get into that. But but can you just talk a little bit? Because I, I, I think it's probably a, a, um, a term maybe not lots of people have heard. Um, and can you just talk a little bit about that? Why, that particularly that relationship with, with our, you know, our relationship with the natural world and this kind of VME perspective. It would be really interesting just to have a, you know, give a bit of clarity around what that's all about. Mm. Yeah, I'd say firstly, for people who don't know, VME means visually minority ethnic. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I've been quite involved with for quite a few years now has been, um, you know, this whole concept of global climate justice, mm. um, which I personally would define it as pushing for equity within the climate change movement. And, and that means different things for different people, um, but that means a few different things for me. But I think one of them is, I suppose, listening to people from the global south and listening to what they want from the movement as well, especially as people on the front lines of issues like climate change. Like I think the fact that we're looking at these issues through such a Western perspective, um, despite not being the ones who are dealing with them right now, is, is it feels very strange to me. Um, I also think Indigenous people's rights absolutely come into this and they're so key in terms of pushing for global climate justice because I think the unfortunate thing at the moment is that for many indigenous people they see it as themselves versus the environmental movement because it's currently being used as a tool of modern day colonization um, when in reality indigenous people um, again are on the front lines of um, various environmental issues you know climate change biodiversity loss um and they are the ones who have been maintaining their lands, maintaining their nature for thousands of years. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. It's, um, I mean, this is it, this is obviously uh, a big, 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 gnarly, complex um, thing. And you're right about, you know, again, the narratives that we're we're sort of, I guess, we're the consensus narratives, if you like, in our cultures and media, um, you know, hide a lot of the complexity and history. And, you know, what I see is, is, is many people actually have no idea really, but you, I remember seeing you, I remember seeing that talk you did at the, you know, in uh, that particular climate strike in Bristol where, where, where Greta spoke at and you were speaking to this. This was, I think this was what late, was it 2019? I can't even remember. I think so, but you were, you know, you you spoke to this in your in your talk around these links between climate, social and racial justice, colonialism, mm. which at the time, you know, at a mainstream level had never, you know, was you wouldn't really hear this. I remember I remember sort of, you know, listening to you and um what was that like for you deciding to go with that, writing that speech? Because it, it strikes me as it was it was a it was a pretty courageous thing to do. Could you share a bit of a bit about that? Um, thank you. I, I think for me, like, because that whole, I remember that whole Greta coming to Bristol thing was very last minute anyway. The poor youth strike team in Bristol had maybe a couple of weeks max to prepare, yeah. Yeah. Um, which meant that I also had maximum a couple of weeks to figure out what I was going to speak about and write my speech. Mm. Um, 
but I think to be honest it felt very obvious to me very quickly that this concept was something that I wanted to speak about especially because I feel like the climate conversation is so the normal talking points are so regularly rehashed that anyone that would bother coming to a climate march would probably know about the sort of 1.5 degree rise and the you know water levels and animals and you know all that kind of thing and so I wanted for a moment to just actually speak about the people which I don't feel like we do as often as we should when talking about mm. climate change um uh and especially I think the imbalances of power between that um which is personal to me anyway for various reasons um as someone with family in Bangladesh and I um and so I felt I don't know like that was really important sort of I suppose leveraging off of Greta Thunberg's popularity to get that message of pushing for equality out there um I'm also an ambassador for an organization called Survival International who are pushing for indigenous people's rights versus very large conservation organizations and so um pushing that message in there about indigenous people's rights versus the environmental movement the climate movement also felt um very personally important for me as well yeah and then um and then did you was that when you got an honorary doctorate from Bristol University was that about around then or was that afterwards yeah that was that was like a week later. Was it? it was Brilliant. a pretty crazy month. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so you, I mean, you've, I mean, as I say, you, uh, at least my, my sense and, from, and, you know, I, I sort of feel like I've been sort of following you from a, from afar for, for a few, few years, <laughs> but you've always been, you've always spoken up very, um, you know, for what you believe in, in, and you've chat, you know, you're not afraid to challenge, to speak, to speak to, you know, a lot of these kind of institutional systems um i think i've you know particularly in the nature conservation space and you have talked in the past about um you know these conservation sectors environmental sectors being i think you phrase was unwittingly institutionally racist mm. um and can you just speak a little bit to that again just to sort of because i think it's absolutely i mean and i and you know I, i'm i um I'm alongside you in what I understand by this, but I, w- I would love to, if you could just unpack that a bit for people to, to understand. Yeah. Um, so I guess I meant various things by that statement really. Um, and I think it, this, this was one of those issues where the more I was digging into this whole situation of discrimination, the more, and more systemic racism I was discovering um and yeah it was manifesting itself in uh god various different ways um so in turn outside of these actual organizations just getting access to nature in the countryside is so difficult for so many people in a way that I think is quite um difficult for people not in that situation to realize that it genuinely is a privilege to have a relationship with nature and the outdoors, despite the fact that it's incredibly important for our mental and physical health. Um, You know, most people don't have the time or the energy or the money or the resources to take them 
let alone them and their kids out outdoors um and I think that's the thing that I've been pushing for people to realize because I think very much when I started campaigning the sentiment was well we're not actively barring people of ethnic minorities from coming in through our gates so this is an issue that has nothing to do with us when I think in reality it ties into wider accessibility issues of um you know engagement like there's a really interesting campaign that started to be pushed at the moment to do with um I I suppose nature being a right for people Mm. having that having access to nature um there was a lot of um in, in terms of entering the sector it is very very difficult partially because um you know there are there are very few jobs in the sector compared to the amount of people who are interested in entering many of whom are from quite middle class backgrounds um and so very quickly you entered the situation where people had a year or several years of volunteering experience in order to get what is a very or a fairly entry level low paid job which means again a lot of people literally could not afford to enter the sector um but I think also when talking to people from these communities, there was a lot of fear about going into spaces that they um, didn't see as their own, I suppose. Um, people were talking about the countryside being white and elitist, being worried that they were going to get, um, you know, even hate crimes. You had mothers talking about how they didn't want their teenage boys hanging out in parks and green spaces in the cities because they were worried they were going to get profiled by the police you know at every level there was at least one thing preventing people from these communities from engaging with nature and the green and green spaces and I think um you know what taking this into account and the fact that um ethnic minority people make up an incredibly large percentage of people sectioned in the UK, despite being only 12% of the population. I think it's very clear um, that, yeah, something something had to change. Mm. And have you know, I mean, I guess, you know, last year was a, was a, was a big year for, I mean, what would you call it? It felt like a year where a lot of this is, you know, that's been bubbling for forever was really starting to come to the surface after the sort of George Floyd murder and the you know the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and it feels like it feels like all sorts of stuff's been unraveling and opening up right and obviously it's still happening um, but have you what's been your experience of of this last year are you are you noticed because obviously you've been you know you've been um, exploring this very intentionally through your through your own work over the last few years what have you noticed in this last year are you seeing stuff opening up you seeing shifts you seeing change are you are you sort of hopeful or what what's what's sort of going on do you think yeah I mean I think um so I started doing this in 2016 I started campaigning um and I I think originally having conversations to do with acknowledging that racism existed in these spaces was incredibly difficult because there were very white liberal spaces and people didn't want to acknowledge that they might be helping to, I suppose, perpetuate systemic racism in any shape Mm. or form. Um, So quite honestly, the most difficult barrier when I first started was even um, having these conversations in the first place, talking to people um, 
making sure that they understood that there was an issue that they needed to combat, um, which thankfully I think that we have moved on from that slightly. Um, I I think for me personally, uh, those conversations around green spaces at the start of lockdown last year were very Mm. exciting, especially after the parks were all locked. And um, I think for me, what I was seeing was a wider movement of people realising how essential green spaces are in terms of urban living, in terms of looking after your mental health. And again, how difficult it actually is to get into the countryside. Um, And so I think after that, the next exciting thing, we're seeing lots and lots of people venture into the countryside for Mm. the first time after that first lockdown was over. Um, you know, lots of people from all different backgrounds, many of whom, when I stopped for a chat, said they were trying this out for the first time. Um, Brilliant. And so I think for me, what I'm hoping for really is for that mindset to continue with people past lockdown and into life beyond a pandemic where people sort of remember that feeling of being locked away in their houses with no access to parks and that feeling of what it felt like to venture out into, you know, a national park or the countryside or whatever for the first time. Yeah. It feels like, um, I mean, it feels like this whole, yeah, access to access to kind of, you know, natural spaces, wild spaces, whatever, whatever, you know, blue, green, whatever, you know, this whole, if, if it is, it strikes me as it's a kind of no brainer really as a sort of, you know what I mean? In terms of like, if we're going to, with all the, complexity that we're sort of facing into right now the idea of sort of more intentional <clears throat> you know investment into <laughs> into spaces that can be accessed um you know because obviously not only is it you know we're, we're living in time where clearly we're clearly mental health and anxiety for everyone is is you know has shot up in the last in the last 18 months so just just for that element of alone it makes sense but then you just think that again increasing uncertainty uncertainty of work and employment all these things that we're sort of dealing with you you, you'd kind of think that you know uh making the kind of natural world as accessible as possible trying to integrate it into the places that we live you know rather than building bloody great roads and high-speed rail networks do you know what i mean it's almost like (laughs) that these feel like the kind of things that would that could potentially work for so you know could be, have so much benefit for so many of us in our in our culture but yeah so i'm on a bit of a ramble there no, but it's just <laughs> <laughs> um it, it it does feel like a a, a strong antidote i guess to to a lot of the complexity mm. and I, and and that's before you look at obviously all the great stuff of bringing back biodiversity sequestering carbon all the all these other lovely parts of the puzzle if you like but um yeah are you seeing are you sensing that that are you seeing you are you feeling like there's going to be some breakthroughs on on access and the value of 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 these spaces in our in our cultures i hope so yeah and i think as well um i think one of the most interesting things for me is so my organization black's nature my, my um we had to improvise a bit during the pandemic because we couldn't do um camps obviously um and so we started doing lots of uh day trip type things and the thing we did a lot of was tree planting days Mm. um and we did about five of them in march day after day and they were incredibly unpopular in a way that we hadn't 
even imagined if anything they were very oversubscribed um and we had parents and children pouring out of the local cities um just to come and plant some trees and the feeling i got as well as people just really being outside and enjoying nature was that people were looking for things to do as well um you know after so long in their houses with their Mm. kids they were looking for something to do and I so I feel like as well one of the things that I want really isn't necessarily for everyone to take up like I don't know bird watching or mothing as a hobby but for people to just understand that they can derive enjoyment from being outside and that it can Mm. be a fun day out and that it's an activity to do rather than like um I don't know going shopping or going to the local theme park or whatever you can go out to the uh, local national park Um, and I think that's hopefully what we're going to be seeing a lot more of not necessarily born new environmentalists but just people who understand that they can derive enjoyment from being outdoors yeah love that let's talk about let's talk about black to nature can you explain for folks exactly like what is the charity what's its mission and intention yeah absolutely um so i set up my charity black to nature about five years ago and it Um, I suppose was just a continuation of my desire to make environmental spaces more diverse. Um, So I guess there's sort of two prongs in terms of the work that we do. We we run the grassroots side of it. We run nature camps. We work with children and teenagers and get people very tangibly outdoors and connected with nature. But we also do a lot of campaigning, pushing for um, systemic change as well. Um, so we work with various nature organizations, environmental organizations to, um, I suppose, push for more diversity and push for more Mm. engagement. And that's actually been, um, incredibly successful over the past few years, which is really exciting. Um, so what does that, does that, would that look like, for example, like, um, you know, environmental organisation or conservation organisation who have kind of landscape or spaces and actually you're, you, you know, you're trying to open those spaces up to kids and communities that aren't getting access to the natural world. Would, would that be one way of looking at it? I think we, we try and go for quite long-term stuff with these organisations. So it's more, um, we've done workshops with them, uh, teaching them how to engage with people from various different communities, how to diversify the kinds of things that they're doing to mm. appeal to people from all sorts of different communities. Um, we have done um, two conferences and we're planning on, we're, we were planning on doing one more this year, but we're planning on doing another one quite soon in the future. Um, we've done quite a lot of consultation stuff, um, but also we've done a lot of campaigning as well, like sort of, making sure that this issue is staying at the forefront of people's minds, um, which I think has been as important as anything else we've done, making sure it isn't an issue that's going to go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are you, and, and, and I guess you're probably learning tons from this, but have you, is there any, is there, are there any kind of specific stories or things that, you know, what have you seen kind of breakthroughs in terms of how, for example, some of these organisations are sort of seeing or thinking about, these spaces what what have you what are you learning through these relationships that you're exploring with them 
Um, I mean, I think I've learned all sorts of things. <laughs> it's obviously been a massive learning curve in terms of, um, yeah, my my whole journey and Black to Nature and everything. I was I was thirteen when I started it all. I didn't really know anything about anything. Mm. Um, and so every everything's been a massive learning curve. But I think for me, um, I think my favorite part of what I do is probably the nature camps themselves, which have also been a massive learning curve. Um, just because it's the bit where we get to actually work with kids one-on-one sometimes um, and really talk to them and really get them out and do these activities. Um, and yeah, it's, it's brilliant fun every time. What is there anything you can share on that? And from the from the kids' perspective, like what have you seen? What are the shifts that you've you've witnessed? Or is there any sort of specifics you can share about things that you've seen happen to kids through through work? You know, coming to these camps and yeah, um, I mean, there's a shift with most kids when they come to the camps. Where I think, um, you know, a lot of them aren't really sure what they're doing there or aren't that interested in the activities that we're doing at the start. But by the end you know, they've all had a good time. And I'd say, you know, they've, they've engaged with nature in some shape or form, which is the most important bit. Um, I think, yeah, we, we we do all sorts of different activities on these camps to, um, to engage these kids with nature. So that can take various different forms. So we do quite arty stuff sometimes. We've done like nature art, photography, video making. Um, we do quite physical things. So we've done like um, mothing, like hold, hold, um, catching moths and moth traps and looking at them before letting them fly away and bird ringing where sometimes the kids are able to, if not just look at the birds quite close up, even sort of hold one in their hand for a second, which always leaves an impact. Um, yeah. We do quite scientific style stuff like... Um, we do bio blitzes where it's like a big competition to try and identify as much stuff as possible. You know, we, we keep a real range in there yeah. because there isn't going to be a single activity that works for everyone. We're yeah. trying to find something that appeals. A doorway for everyone. Yeah, exactly. To give these kids an option so that there's always something that will interest them and engage with them. We live on a life-giving rock called Earth, hurtling through space. How bonkers is that? You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast. Yeah, beautiful. Love that. And um, there, I guess, because I guess, well, going back to, I guess, last year, you've, you've had like, you know, it, it felt like it was a, f- a flurry of kind of book deals <laughs> that <laughs> were happening for you. Uh, it was last year, wasn't it? 2020, would it have been? Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about that, because you've been really busy on that front. And obviously, you've just released um, the book, We Have a Dream. Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about the books? And then maybe we could explore We Have a Dream a bit, because I'd love to dig into that. Um. Yeah, so... Um, I currently have two books on the go. Um, the first is We Have a Dream, which I would describe as being suitable for all ages, um, very beautifully illustrated. And that is nonfiction talking about 
30 different environmentalists of colour from all over the world um, talking about the various different projects they do run, activism they do, things like that. And I wanted to create something that was just very inspiring for the people reading it. Um, so I spent How's about you, six months yeah, yeah, um, interviewing yeah. those people during lockdown last year. Um and yeah, it came out last week on the fifth of August, and is um, now available available to buy online. Amazing, um, yeah. And what was that? Tell me, like, who who are you drawn to? Can you tell us? Can you share a little bit about some of the some of the anyway, you know, any of the the, the characters and how? Why did you decide on? Because it's thirty, right? Tell us a bit about that mm. process of yeah of finding those folks. Um. So. Firstly, I guess to give context to why I wrote We Have a Dream mm. in the first place, um, it again came out of this concept of global climate justice where I felt like, um, you know, it was the same handful of white Western activists being given a media platform over and over again to speak, when in reality I knew that there were people all over the world literally fighting for the future of our planet, fighting for the environment. And so I um, looked around and it was actually quite difficult to find very many people. Um, And so I decided to sort of take it upon myself to collect them together and to write it myself. Um, And yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic process, finding these people, writing it, all Mm. of it. Um, And yeah, I, I... feel like I have a whole network of like activists I know all over the mm. world now literally from all six continents and I think that's really exciting um and what's and, and again without without obviously like favoriting any I'm sick of but can, yeah. is it you know just give people a sense like what, what was the sort of range of folks that you've ended up writing about can you give us a little bit of context yeah. on any of them um so I remember the very first boy I interviewed um was this boy called Lysim from Kenya. Um, And I loved him. He was brilliant. And basically, he was a lad who really likes football. Yeah. Also was very sad because he was seeing lots of deforestation going on in his local area. And decided that for every goal he scored, he would plant 11 trees um, just as a personal goal. But that very quickly spread within his um, local football team that he played in. Um, And then after a while, it also spread to various other local teams. And um, he's hoping to push it to the bigger, more national teams at the moment. He's also, you know, in conversation with, Kenya's forestry department and all of that within like a couple of years and all of that sort of powered by just a passion and a desire to make things a bit better which I think sums up a lot of this a lot of the people in this book it's just people who care and want to make the world a better place and you know after seeing I guess sort of the failings of adults around them have decided that they'll do it themselves because the majority of people in this book are they're, they're young, they're teenagers, and I think that is really important as as a thread throughout. Yeah, I I, I love that, and it's um, I mean, God, there's so much in this as well, isn't it? Because it speaks a lot to your is is in I mean, it's interesting. I'm just 
I've been watching the, you know, obviously as we all have since the latest IPCC report came out this week and just try, you know, look at, you know, look, looking through, my, you know, the networks that I'm in, mm. all the channels that I just seeing how different people are responding to this, to this stuff. And, you know, just listening to you talk about these youngsters in, in places clearly who, you know, who historically have probably emitted and barely no carbon and use very little, res- you know, natural resources. And because I see these, I saw, I saw a conversation yesterday on some platform where a bunch of guys were just, you know, trying to call out, you know, trying to make it out like, again, you know, all UK is, you know, it's all about calling out China and all these kind of places and sort of, you know, just going on about this kind of, you know, we're, we're really on top of our emissions, this country, and not referencing historical emissions, not referencing all the consumption that we don't account for that is, uh, mm. you know, is, is happening, not referencing travel, all this stuff. And I, I guess speaking to this this age piece again, because it strikes me that what I see, it, it, again, not in, and I'm not saying this in a, in a blaming way, because there are a lot of, unfortunately, you know, a lot of many people in our society just haven't had the information they just don't know just don't understand the impacts that we that we make you know or uh, the history of our country or you know what's involved or but 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 this there, there there seems to be such a lot of privilege still particularly in some older groups around maybe it's maybe it's not old maybe that's wrong but when i when you tell a story like you just did of you know a guy that's just starts planting trees every time he scores a goal um and is doing that I don't know. It just seems this huge gap between this kind of, yeah, this sense of entitlement almost um, that that I see, and this reluctance to change or reluctance to accept that you know we're all part of this problem. Um, and yet, on this this side, you're talking about, I say, youngsters who've who've you know have have you know really had no impact on on this earth, who are you know going beyond you know what many people with capability with privilege will will do right um mm. because of their desire and do you get a sense like i know it's hard to say as well but what is your sense because like you're you know let's say you're you're 19 you've done so much in your short time i mean you've done more in your time than m- most people will ever do um what is your sense right now of this this generational piece like you're you know and i know i know you can't speak for a generation you can't but but what are you sensing around um and where things are heading do you do you feel there is um a lot of anger building in the younger generations so i'm just curious um yeah i do <laughs> um mm. and i think god sorry um yeah, I, I, I do. And I, I think one of the things that I really noticed while writing We Have a Dream mm. was how young so many of the people I were talking to were when they started. Because um, it isn't, you know, it isn't teenagers, it's young children, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-olds um, taking it upon themselves to make things better because they were seeing a failure from generations before them. Mm. Um, And I think that is a very key thing. And so I think while in some ways it's incredibly inspiring to see people feeling capable to go out and change the world like that, I do think in some ways it's also quite sad Mm. um, that so many of these kids felt the need. Um, I 
also think in general, one of the really interesting things about this new young generation of activists is that there is quite a different mindset when it comes to activism. Um, so like there are a few people in this book who I'd say historically might not have even been um, considered environmental activists, but in yeah. the way that um, I see everything linking together and many of the people I talk to do, it totally makes sense. So, you know, um, for example, Autumn Peltier, who's this amazing water indigenous water act advocate from Canada, yeah. um, you know, um historically might not have even considered herself an environmental activist because all she wants is or all she wanted was clean water for her community and for communities like hers um or (coughs) sorry um or um you know taylor from australia who again is an indigenous advocate um, for her community who is possibly going to be getting into politics in the future, um, but is talking about environmental issues because it totally links into um, the wider issues that her community is facing. And so I guess what I'd say is for people my age, it is totally about intersectionality and recognising that to fix one thing, we need to fix various other things as well. Yeah, it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so so let's just like on so on the book. So that so so we have a dream is is out there and is covering yeah it's these thirty young environmentalists that you're that you're featuring and um, then you've got you've got a couple other books haven't you in the pipeline or is there what is there what what, what else is coming up? Um, yeah, there is another book which I'm probably not allowed to talk about very much, <laughs> um, and that's coming out next year at some point. I just finished writing it, um, Amazing. and, and then- I suppose without going too deep into it, it's talking a lot about bird watching right. and um, the birds that I've seen throughout my life that I've absolutely loved. Um, I think is is accurate and yeah. vague. <laughs> what, do you, what what is what do you, do you have an outstanding bird moment? I mean it's probably several, but is there is oh, there a, is yeah, there a, so yeah, many. What, and what are the birds that get you out like locally? What are the ones that kind of get you going? It's funny because I think um, during lockdown I as a bird watcher um, have a hundred percent gained a new appreciation for birds that historically might have been labeled as a little bit dull um yeah the dunnock the sparrow the um sparrows are weird i mean i spot things i mean you talked about earlier about the disappearance and stuff but they're 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 a they're a bird right that's disappeared massively yeah absolutely i don't actually get sparrows because they because they because they only live they live they're very i don't know what the technical word would be but they that's it and they Um, and they live in a very small they actually their their sort of zone is pretty small isn't it of exploration mm. and stuff but they've gone um, yeah, so definitely sparrows, dunnocks, wrens, tree creepers, all of wrens that. Wrens are amazing. Thing I, I mean, love. The, the wren, the, 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 for me, the wren, it's it's the it's They're that that voice for that tiny yeah. thing. <laughs> it's just like They're what? So How loud. can you make so much noise? Definitely. So yeah. all of that kind of thing. I I really loved watching all of those during, especially when we we're all literally just in our houses yeah. last year. I was yeah. I'm lucky enough to have quite a big garden, so I was able to, um, you know, just watch all of these birds for months during spring. You know, where they found their mates, then built their nests, and then we're going yeah. back and forth with food, and it was brilliant. Um, so I think all of that sort of thing is totally what 
I have fallen in love with over the last year or so. You might. So I, I saw um, a couple. I've, I've, I don't know why recently. I've noticed quite a few kestrels around where I live, and they okay. they seem to make it this quite sort of squealing, high pitched kind of sound and i've seen the other day i was in the woods and actually i saw one chasing another one i didn't know if it was making this really sort of screamy a bit like that sort of buzzard type of screech you get but it was definitely they were definitely kestrels but i couldn't figure out whether it was a whether it was a love thing or whether it was a territory (laughs) thing or any clues Um, i'd say this time of year probably a territory thing Right. Possibly, I, not to make any bold claims, but possibly even parents chasing a young one uh, off of their land now that it's uh, grown up. Yeah, but, time to um, leave home, yeah. for yourself. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm very jealous, though. I don't see many kestrels around where near my house. Um, oh, do you, no, we, I don't know why. I've just been. Um, well, it's funny as well. I don't know if you do you ever find because there was a there was a there was a few years ago where I had a, a period of time where I was I was I was I was probably d- felt like I was doing quite a lot of transformational work at the time i was doing quite a lot of work on myself i was going through definitely quite a lot of changes but i noticed i kept coming across would they be, i guess they'd be what's the bird i guess if wait, wait, it, uh, birds of prey i guess like it was like it was it was it was buzzards it was it was kestrels uh what else did i see um oh, what's the other one that's um i forget that you see sometimes anyway but this, um do you ever find yourself sometimes connecting with certain you know what I mean? Sort of. Sometimes you have these sort of moments where you sort of seem to connect with certain birds, or that you just sort of come across them. They seem to be around you. you yeah, a, definitely. I I think the birds that I had a really strong connection with this this spring and the spring before were the pair of ravens mm. um, that live quite near my house somewhere um, that have bred both years. Um, and they've been brilliant. They've spent hours circling sort of around the local area, around my garden, making this weird sort of plopping water droplet call that I can't find anywhere online. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so I, I think definitely that pair of ravens just absolutely um, entranced me. Yeah, you know there were weeks where I was sort of obsessed with just being out in the garden and waiting for them to fly over my head. Yeah, I mean, I I I really think there's something I don't know. I always always get the sense that you can. It's interesting. Have you have you have you watched that? Um, um, I mean, it's not birds, but have you watched Mark Octopus Teacher? Watch that documentary. No, you seen that? It's it's um it's this doc. It came out actually during again. It came out during the during the pandemic. It's about this guy. It's in it's in uh, it's off the Cape of South Africa, and he's a diver, and it's um he dives into the kelp forests there, and it's he basically forms this connection with this octopus, um, mm. and goes and and ends up going and diving every single day for like months and films it all, and literally builds this relationship where this octopus you know will you know come up to him um you know has it on it comes and settles on his arm and he builds this entire kind of like it's, it's i mean it's the most it's, it's the most beautiful film it's really worth watching mm-hmm. um but it's this it you know i guess the takeout is this you know is this site is, is really that you know what happens when we allow ourselves to as humans to open up to you know the more than human world you know in a way where we we sort of forget our our, maybe our sense you know our, our, our sense of hierarchy or, or the fact that you know we see we, we 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 sort of let this thing you know our, our, our way that we'll always try and look through the human mind at everything we allow ourselves to sort of let that dissolve and 
and you know he yeah has this extraordinary connection with this with this creature and uh i remember when i watched it i ended up going down to the allotment and there was a there was a robin that kept visiting as i was pre- prepping the allotment <laughs> and, and i kept sort of getting into you know you know robins and you get quite close to you and you can you almost feel like you can almost start to sort of you know what i mean there's an energy if you sort of and i i'm sure you've seen this a lot through your you know through the time you, the the time you've spent watching birds but do you do you sense that that it's it's that that you can form these connections to these creatures yeah i definitely think so um you know i think we're animals just as much as they are really. yeah yeah 100%. Um, i think maybe and i i totally do this too i think maybe we anthropomorphize animals yeah. a little more than they you know we're actually experiencing in the wild but i think uh, if you feel a personal connection with an animal that doesn't take away from that at all because you're still feeling that mm. you know um and you know i think as as well for decades and decades we've always always um underestimated the intelligence of animals it wasn't that long ago that we thought that animals couldn't even feel pain mm. um and so I suppose you never really know as well how reciprocated your relationship is with wild animals. Yeah. And it may, it may, it's just, it's just when, you know, when I, when I hear you talk about like, like, you know, the sort of things like the colonialism within conservation or whatever, because for me also, that's where it takes me again, mm. is, is, is how, again, how we define our boundaries between what it is we're conserving, you know, or what is this relationship we have with this thing that's not human. And, and like you say, within at least my understanding with, and obviously I'm not trying to say indigenous cultures are all, you know, one way of looking at the world because obviously mm-hmm. there are many and diverse, but at least my understanding is, is that there's a, there's a, you know, there's a total, um, there's a common thread, which is obviously there's this vast intelligence in all life <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, uh, the non-human world is, is, you know, has, a, is seen in a very mm-hmm. sacred way, you know, and that there's all kinds of intelligence and, in these creatures and i wonder which seems sometimes it can seem like quite a radical shift but i i sort of feel that this whole area of this relationship we have or don't have right now with the living world is part of the reason why it's in such a mess you know why we're destroying so much of it because we're sort of you know we've become so separate from it and i just wondered whether this yeah how this how this deepening our 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 relationship with with all these wonderful creatures around us, what, what that, you know, what the role of that might be in, in trying to sort of, you know, reduce our destructiveness on this earth. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I, I agree that I think, you know, from losing our connection with nature, we've lost an appreciation for nature and appreciation Mm. for the fact that we shouldn't be destroying it. Um, but I also think, um, you know, without getting, oh god, I can't breathe. Um, I, I, I also keep think breathing, that- Mike. Keep, keep, keep breathing. <laughs> right, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Um, I, I also think, without getting too controversial, that I absolutely think that capitalism is totally linked to our attitude towards nature. Where I think, in general, um, we've gotten ourselves to a situation where there's very little value placed on things that you know, there isn't money attached to whether that's a profit or a price or anything. Um, and I think the way that nature and, you know, the environment quite very often sits outside of that barriers um, means that, um, 
you know, people don't see any value to it apart from the money that they can get out of it, if that makes sense, from mm. its natural resources. Um, so I think the combination of those two things means that um, a lot of people just don't realise the importance of nature. Yeah. Well, it's, it is, isn't it? Exactly. It's because it's, I can't remember this thing, but it's, it's you. I think, again, it's this, it's, it's almost that, that disconnection continues to grow when you know when we if, if you speak to well you know if you like to have a you know if you like to drink beer or you like fashion or you like to have a smartphone mm-hmm. you know none of that will exist without the natural world you know it's like mm-hmm. all of those things require you know healthy soils healthy ecosystems you know all these things that produce these 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 materials that end up you know being parts of the things we wear the things we drink the things we communicate with they are all made from this earth right and it's um but it's so become so removed from how our modern culture, you know, it doesn't, it almost just, it's not there. You know, that connection isn't really there. Um, but it's, um, it feels like that's, that's that, you know, le- learning our way into this complexity is, is also part of this, you know, I think again, you know, as, as you say with this, you know, looking at, um, uh, what you're speaking to in terms of, you know, climate justice and intersectionality and, it's it's off the radar for most you know most people just can't they don't it's not i don't think it's that they don't grab it they just don't under, they just don't see it you know it's been it's been hidden in these kind of modern ways of doing things but my sense is that we need to sort of um help surface all of this so that people can start to sort of recognize that this is complex mm. and there's all these different you know what i mean because it's not a binary we're not in a binary world anymore. You know what I mean? We can't just, mm. uh, we have to be able to hold all of this complexity to, to, you know, to, 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 to get towards making decisions that are actually going to hopefully um, work for more, for more life. Um, yeah. So you are, you are off. I mean, there's a couple of things I'd love to do. One thing you're, you're off to uni this year. Um, mm-hmm. um, which how's that? Tell us about that. How are you feeling about that? Good. I'm very excited. Um, what are you I'm going to study going and where are you studying? October. Um, yeah. I'm going to Cambridge to study human, social and political sciences. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Um, this has felt like a very long year. It felt like It's felt like a very long time since I've left school, but I'm looking back forward to, um, you know, going and learning again. Yeah, amazing. I mean, how do you? Because I, mean, I, you know, I think as then, you know, you you are you are working with a lot of a lot of big, heavy, complex stuff, right? And you know, I, you know, I, I'm a bit of an old git. I've been doing my thing for a while, but you know, I, I <laughs> I've you know, but but I know how much this work drags me down and has done over the you know the years, and how it's very easy to get burnt out into places of despair and and how do you cope with it because you're young and how do you have fun and how do you deal with all of this um i mean i don't know i just take time off really same as everyone um (laughs) like i think there have been lots of really interesting conversations to do with burnout and all that sort of stuff especially amongst young people in the past year or two um so I personally am involved in this really cool um, project that's based in Bristol near me called the Resilience Project, which is set up by someone who was very heavily involved in youth strikes for a very long is that time. Kate, Katie? Is that, yeah. Yeah. Um, she also she also spoke too. at that. She just spoke, didn't she? At the um, 
Did she, she did, also speak? Yeah. With, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah she spoke when Greta came. Um, yeah. And it's a brilliant project. Um, and yeah, I think just being. Can you explain aware, a little bit for folks what that's all about? Um, it's basically a project that's all about teaching um, young activists to look after themselves and look after their mental health and give them that support. Um, and I. I think became an ambassador for that before it even launched because I just thought it was a brilliant idea. And there are so mm. many people that I know or know of who have just completely, you know, given themselves to the movement and then just completely burnt out. Um, and I think that's something to really raise awareness around. I think it's a, a, quite a big issue that no one really talks about within these circles. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the, you know, yeah the birding and generally being out in the natural world is as we know is a, is a is a really sort of strong positive antidote and grounding to all of the complexity and burnout right mm. do you, yeah do you, absolutely yeah. um i think i think birding is such a like almost meditative thing for me like I think it's so important partially because you know it, I guess it's separate from everything going on in the world and everything going on in your own life um and yeah I, I think it's important that everyone has if not birding itself a hobby like it to make sure mm. that they are looking after themselves do you do you know now like have you figured that out like you you've got the you know you you get a sense where you're like actually i need to, i've got to go and disappear off into the woods with the <laughs> with the binoculars yeah, I've got sometimes. To, yeah, yeah you sort of like yeah. you you've you've figured out how to sort of you know the signals when it's time to uh disappear yes so yeah. yes that's me sometimes yeah, but it, that's the thing, isn't it? Because I think that's the at least I I I witness that with 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 activists all over the place. Is it just it's almost like, you know because we can very quickly become overwhelmed with the problems and um and forget to recognise you know the uh, you know your own your own sustainability, which which in many ways is the most important thing because you're kind of useless without it, right? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um... How do you um, fit? I mean, you. I guess you know the 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 latest IPCC report came out this week. We should speak to that a little bit. I mean, you've you know more, you know you've obviously been very aware of, of 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 these issues. You know the science. You were out and you were out in the Arctic, weren't you, last year? Um, yeah. You know what? How do you feel with this stuff? And and you know what is it that you? Yeah, how do you feel? I guess about about where we're at right now, and I guess what's what do you want to see happen in these coming months, years? Um, that's the funny thing about being involved in climate activism, actually, because it's just endlessly frustrating. Um, like I think the thing that I like to remind people of is that every day that climate change isn't solved, and I mean that literally. Um, we should treat that as an active decision made by our governments because the money's there and the technology's there, just not the will or the desire. Um, and so I suppose what I want to see really from our government and from other governments going forward is just really clear, tangible action combating climate change. Um, I find it so bizarre and I think it's partially linked to 
the short-term element of government, but so many politicians just don't seem to care um, about climate change because it's sort of beyond the scope of their own political career. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, personally, the main way to create that really is for... It, climate change should become an issue that everyone cares about and I really do mean everyone enough for it to be a single issue that can completely influence elections and votes and things like that to eventually force politicians hands into making this world a better place um, but yeah action is what I want to see really <laughs> it does it does it does feel doesn't it almost i mean i think particularly in this moment in time that we're in now i mean at least uh it feels to me that it's becoming almost absurd to not be aware mm. highly worried you know it, you know because for many years it's sort of you know we've obviously we've all been sort of making our noise from the edges but it's almost you've just seen that society manages to sort of just keep you know keep sort of just all right all right yeah see you a lot over there but just you know we've got this we've got this this modern life to get on with but it's almost like you know yeah, literally, you know, it's like every day at the moment, isn't it? There's, you know, somewhere underwater, somewhere flooding. And of course, these are places, these are places that people would, call, you know, inverted commas, developed countries. And uh, um, it almost feels like it can't go on for much longer, you know, that it, this doesn't become front and centre across everything. Because it's all, you know, the grounded reality that people are experiencing all over the world is 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 completely different to what, you know, the spin of the politics and the media will tell us. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, that's my hope. <laughs> it's just like, everyone's like, come on now. You can't, you can't, you can't uh, not deal with this now. But I mean, it will be interesting. Are you going to be doing, are you going to be active at COP? Have you got any plans, things you're going to be involved in? Hopefully, yeah. I'm going to be up for at least some of COP. Mm. Um, it is about three weeks into me starting university so I'm not sure exactly how busy I'm gonna be yeah um but yeah in, I'm definitely gonna be up there for at least a few days hopefully I'm gonna be up there for more than that I'm really excited for COP I'm I'm hoping for something good what do you want what's what, what would be your what would be your what would be the the best outcome for you for, for COP um same answer, action. <laughs> I think when I say I'm hopeful for COP, I think I'm I mean more the things going on around COP rather than the event itself. Yeah, um, the, gra- the grassroots, the people. Yeah, the people. Because, um, you know, I remember the Paris Agreement. That was only like, what, five years ago? Nothing's mm. happened from that, really. Mm. Um, so, again, it's not really about you know, our governments all coming together and saying, yes, climate change is an issue. I, I, I want to see action from them. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we're, we're all with that. So listen, anything, um, I, obviously I'll link to all of your work in the show notes, but is there anything else you wanted to share or any way folks can get involved with what you're doing? What would you, what, anything you want to, what's the best um, way for people to, to get, to get involved? I guess if people want to get involved with my charity, Black to Nature, you can follow us at official Black to Nature. That's with the number two in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're interested in following what I'm up to, um, you can follow me at Bird Girl UK. 
And if you are interested in ordering We Have a Dream, you can buy it at my website, birdgirluk.com. Thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> you've said this, a f- I, I get a sense, Mara Rose, you've said this a few times. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll lock all of this in, in into the show Great, notes as well. You. So listen, um, just just thank you for this conversation. I know you've got a lot on and um, so I really appreciate your time. And I think what, what you do is extraordinary. And uh, yeah, it was, I'm right alongside and uh, following along and uh, I think I'm going to be up at COP actually uh, doing various things so uh, maybe we'll connect in in, in IRL um, mm. <laughs> but um, I always close this close this um, uh, podcast with this you know thinking about this kind of metaphor of our of our of our earth as a as a spaceship hurtling through space and this idea of sort of shifting from sort of passengers to to crew and this idea of becoming crew on the on our spaceship earth what does that what does that speak to you right now what does that bring up for you I think like in general while chatting on this podcast it's been really nice just because I've remembered or it's nice just talking about how much I enjoy being outside and how much I love nature Um, and I think in terms of my activism that's the thing I come back to over and over Um, you know I think it's totally fueled by my hobby bird watching and my love for this planet um that we live on um but yeah sorry um i don't know i don't know <laughs> more, more let's just 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 get outside basically so, yeah. so, we need, that's what we need to be doing isn't it i think that's the answer it's the antidote it's interesting i was we did a thing down at the g7 um uh recently this thing called c7 which is looking at sort of ocean activism we were saying like mm. you know why, 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 you know, what, how different would it be if world leaders like got in the sea every day at the start of the day and at the end of the day, you know, during these mm. discussions, like what, what outcomes would shift, you know, how would they shift probably massively just because, you know, we take the power out of these setups and put us into the natural world and all kinds of stuff happens, doesn't it? It's like, that's what we need. We just need everyone to get outside yeah. a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Brilliant. Look, Myro, thank you so much for your time and um, wishing you uh, loads of positive vibes for the journey ahead and the books and university and everything else. And um, yeah, thanks for what you do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been lovely to chat. Pleasure. Take it easy. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Maya Rose, aka Bird Girl. Um, highly recommend picking up the, the book, the new book. I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, follow Bird Girl on her various socials. Um, I've also linked in the show notes to the talk uh, Maya Rose did um, at the climate strike in Bristol in 2019 uh, before Greta Thunberg that I mentioned Um in the episode it's well worth a few minutes of your time so if you like this episode um please do give us a rating or a review or any others um it means a lot because a it's some feedback but also it helps other people find the show when they're searching so um yeah it just takes a few minutes uh, not even that probably 30 seconds 60 seconds but it's mightily appreciated and thank you uh, to all those who've been reviewing as of late 
Um, if you want to keep up on other bits of writing and happenings uh, from me, you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter, Becoming Crew, um, for updates on the podcast and other goodness. Um, yeah, so thanks for tuning in. It means a lot, all the support. Um, take care of yourself out there. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, but um, let's make sure we're spending time outside noticing those birds looking at that life beyond the human what might that enable hey eh? what could be out there what could we learn from this great extraordinary web of life until next time peace and out